Chapter thirty five of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five Mist Fire. It was an evening early in May, and Harold Caffin was waiting at Victoria for the arrival of the Dover train, which was bringing back Mark and Mabel from the continent. This delicate attention on his part was the result of a painful uncertainty which had been vexing him ever since the morning on which he read vincent's farewell note at wastwater it is a poor tale as mrs poyser might say to throw your bomb and never have the satisfaction of hearing it explode and yet that was his position he had shot his arrow into the air like longfellow but less fortunate than the poet he was anything but sure that his humble effort had reached the heart of a friend now he was going to know one thing he had ascertained from the Langtons, Vincent Holroyd had certainly followed the couple to Laufingen, and they had seen him there. Harold had found Mrs. Langton full of the wonderful news of the return of the dead. But nothing had come of it as yet. If there was a sensation in store for the literary world, Mabel's letters apparently contained no hint of it, and for a time Catherine felt unpleasantly apprehensive that there might have been a hitch somehow in his admirable arrangements then he reflected that mabel would naturally spare her mother as long as possible he would not believe that after all the trouble he had taken after holroyd had actually hunted down the culprit the secret could have been kept from her any longer no she must know the real truth though she might be proud enough to mask her sufferings while she could but still he longed for some visible assurance that his revenge had not unaccountably failed and as he ascertained that they were to return on this particular evening, and were not to be met except by the Langton carriage, it occurred to him that here would be an excellent opportunity of observing Mabel at a time when she would not imagine it necessary to wear a mask. He would take care to remain unseen himself, a single glance would tell him all he needed to know, and he promised himself enjoyment of a refined and spiritual kind in reading the effects of his revenge in the vivid face he had loved once, and hated now with such malignant intensity. The train came in with a fringe of expectant porters hanging on the footboards, and as the doors flew open to discharge a crowd, flurried but energetic, like stirred ants, even Caffin's well-regulated pulse beat faster. He had noticed Champion waiting on the platform, and kept his eye upon him in the bustle that followed. He was going up to a compartment now. That must be Mark he was touching his hat to as he received directions. Caffin could not see Mark's face yet, as his back was towards him, but he could see Mabel's as she stepped lightly out on the platform. There was a bright smile on her face as she acknowledged the footman's salute, and seemed to be asking eager questions. Caffin felt uncomfortable, for there was nothing forced about her smile no constraint in her eyes as she turned to mark when they were alone again and seemed to be expressing her eager delight at being home again and mark too had the face of a man without a care in the world something must have gone wrong terribly wrong it was clear they were coming towards him he had meant to avoid them at first but now his curiosity would not allow this and he threw himself in their way affecting an artless surprise and pleasure at being the first to welcome them back mark did not appear at all disconcerted to see him 
and mabel could not be frigid to anybody just then in the flush of happy expectation which she did not try to conceal altogether it was a bitter disappointment to caffyn he quite gasped when mark said with a frank unconsciousness and without waiting for the subject to be introduced by him oh i say caffyn what on earth made you think poor old vincent was going back to india at once he's not going to do anything of the kind he's wandering about the continent we knocked up against him in Laufingen. Caffyn gave a searching look at Mabel's sweet, tranquil face, then at Mark's, which bore no sign of guilt or confusion. "'Knocked up against you?' he repeated. "'Why, why, didn't he expect to find you there, then?' Mabel answered this. "'It was quite an accident that he stopped at Laufingen at all,' she said. "'He was going on to Italy.' Caffyn did not give up even then. He tried one last probe. "'Of course,' he said. "'I forgot. Your husband kept him so completely in the dark about it all, eh, Mark? Well, when you got him to come down to Wastwater with me, he had no idea what festivities were in preparation, had he?' "'No, my boy,' said Mark, with a perfectly natural and artistic laugh. "'I really don't believe he had. You mustn't be shocked, darling,' he added to Mabel. "'It was all for his good, poor fellow.' i must tell you some day about our little conspiracy it's all very well for you though he turned to caffyn again to put it all on to me you have more to do with it than i it was your own idea you know oh said caffyn well if you like to put it in that way he lost his self-possession completely there was something in all this that he could not at all understand the fact was that Mark felt himself able now to face the whole world with equanimity. The knowledge that no one would ever detect him made him a consummate actor. He had long made up his mind how he would greet Caffyn when they met again, and he was delighted to find himself so composed and equal to the occasion. Caffyn stood looking after the carriage as it drove away with them. He had quite lost his bearings. The paper in Holroyd's hand— Mark's own behaviour in so many instances, Vincent's rapid pursuit, had all seemed to point so clearly to one conclusion. Yet what was he to think now? He began for the first time to distrust his own penetration. He very much feared that his elaborate scheme of revenge was a failure, that he must choose some other means of humbling Mabel, and must begin all over again, which was a distressing thought to a young man in his situation. He was glad now that he had never talked of his suspicions, and had done nothing openly compromising. He would not give up, even yet, until he had seen Holroyd and been able to pump him judiciously. Until then he must bear the dismal suspicion that he had overreached himself. One of his shafts, at least, had not fallen altogether wide, for as Mark and Mabel were being driven home across the park, she said suddenly, "'So Harold knew that Vincent was alive, then?' "'Yes,' said Mark. "'He knew.' And he looked out of the window at the sunset as he spoke. "'And you and Harold kept him from hearing of our wedding?' she said. "'Mark, I thought you said you had told him.' "'Oh, no,' said Mark. "'You misunderstood. "'There—there there were reasons.' "'Tell me them,' said Mabel. "'Well,' said Mark, "'Vincent was ill. "'Anyone could see that what he wanted was rest.' and that the fatigue and—and and the excitement of a wedding would be too much for him. 
Caffin wanted a companion up at Wastwater, and begged me to say nothing about your marriage just then, and leave it to him to tell him quietly, later on. That's all, darling. I don't like it, dear, said Mabel. I don't like your joining Harold in a thing like that. I know you did it all for the best, but I don't see why you could not have told him. If he was not well enough to come to the wedding, we should have understood it. Perhaps you're right, said Mark easily. But, at all events, no harm has come of it to anybody. How they are thinning the trees along here, aren't they? Just look down that avenue. And Mabel let him turn the conversation from a subject she was glad enough to forget. End of chapter 35